dump the degree and get a real job. Congratulations to the Malaysian medal winners, and the end is closer than you think. Got that and more all coming up. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Wednesday. We are halfway through the week, and I hope your week's going well. Uh, we're live across Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and, <laughs> and Rumble.com. Ryan pops in right off the bat here and says, this is my intervention. I need a real job. I do need a real job. Good. I have a suggestion for you, and it's, it's, it's a great idea. So stand by. We'll get to it in a minute. We're also a podcast. Our audio part of our show goes out about a half hour, 20 minutes after our live stream ends. It's the audio part of the show that you're listening to. And you'll find us across most any podcast platform you are subscribed to. Just do a search on wherever it is, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Geo7 in India. Uh, just search the Jay Sheldon Show. You'll see this logo pop up. It's usually in white with purple. And uh, just click on it. Click subscribe or follow and that's it. You're done. It's free and it really helps us out. If you ultimately want to be a friend of the show, Go to patreon.com slash Sheldon. You can sign up there. I've rearranged the menu. I've made your choices a little simpler, and it's very inexpensive, but it goes a long way to helping us out to support the show. So thank you for those of you who do that. It's patreon.com slash Sheldon. Uh, maybe I should start a Miko Patreon. How about that? Miko update. Oh, yeah. The little lady is doing great. Our Miko update. Uh, she is she, actually, she was weird today. She didn't eat all day. And then about six, seven o'clock tonight, she suddenly decided she was hungry. So she started eating. She is loving her new toy. Her absolute favorite new toy is this one we just got her. It's this tug of war toy. And uh, she's having a ball with it. And, uh, chasing it everywhere bringing it everywhere she brought it to bed last night with us so uh, she's in love with this new toy and uh she <laughs> it cost 10 ringgit that was it 10 bucks cheap as hell and uh, and it's great she absolutely loves it so we're really pleased with that uh yes by the way another new shirt tonight i got my cami shirt on I don't know. We didn't do a cami sort of show, but I just felt in a cami sort of mood. So the camouflage shirt is is where, where we're going tonight. There you go. All right. So you dump your degree. You get a real job. And you know what happens? You'll probably make more money. Well, I live in a country. I live in a part of the world, in fact, because it's not just Malaysia. But most Asian countries value college degrees more than practically the air you breathe. Um, there is an interesting survey out, and the results are pretty phenomenal. Check this out. The link to all these things we talk about, by the way, are in our show notes, of course. From says.com, a survey says that 72.1% of Malaysians do not want to further their study after their SPM. Whoa is right. That's insane. I mean, personally, I think it's great news. 
Some said they preferred to work in the gig economy or, and this one is a little stupid, but become influencers on social media. Look, far be it from me to put a wet cloth on your dreams, but you have to go into something like that with your eyes wide open. Do you know how many people, how many hundreds of thousands of people are out there doing videos, doing what I do? Uh, and of that group of people, a teeny, tiny, itsy, bitsy, little, minuscule percent ever become uber popular. And even of that itsy, bitsy, teeny, tiny, minuscule, little percent, even a tinier, minuscule, little, tiny percent of that percent actually make money doing it. It's rare. It's virtually, I know everybody hears about the, the success stories, but if you think you're going to quit your job and become an influencer and make a fortune and be the next Brian Christopher or Joe Rogan or whatever, I can, with pretty much 99.999% accuracy tell you, it ain't going to happen. If you want to do it anyway and you can afford to, do it. Have a ball. Have a blast. Look, I don't make money doing this show. I just love doing it. And fortunately, I've got a lot of people who love listening or watching. And that's great. We love you all. We really, really do. I, I do it for you. I, I don't do it for me. I have fun doing it. But I certainly don't make any money doing this show. In fact, it costs me a little bit of money. But, uh, you know, I do it for fun because I love it. But this survey is amazing. Uh, government statistics found 72.1% of Sijil Palajaran Malaysia, the SPM, uh, graduates do not want to continue their studies after secondary school. Now, I'm an American. We have a very specific education system in the U.S. I went to school in a small town. I went to a grammar school. We didn't even have a, a, a junior high school. So you went from kindergarten through eighth grade, all in the same building, in different rooms. But you know, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way through eighth grade. Then you graduated eighth grade and you went on to high school. You went to high school, you became a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, a senior, four years of high school, and you graduated. And then if you chose to, you went on to college or a second, another school of some sort of technical training school, those kind of things. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong in the chat, please, the equivalent of graduating high school is an SPM. Again, I don't really don't understand this education system in Malaysia. I don't have to because I don't have kids in school and it doesn't really affect me. I think I'm right, but if I'm wrong, just please correct me in the chat. According to Utusan Malaysia, a report by the Department of Statistics in 2019, not that long ago, showed that, listen to this, 390,000 out of a half, more than a half million, 560,000 SPM candidates were interested in joining the workforce immediately after the exam. Only 170 students were interested 
in continuing their studies, going on to college, university. The Malay Daily reported three main factors behind those uh, that were aged 17 and 18. Yeah, so I think I'm right. SPM is like graduating high school. Um, 17, 18-year-olds did not want to continue their studies. Their main reasons were the availability of job opportunities in the gig economy, interested in becoming influencers on social media, and believing that furthering their studies does not guarantee them better jobs. How many people, show of hands, have a degree that you are not currently working in what your degree is in? One, two, three, four, five, six, two. Yeah, lots of you. There's a lot of you. <laughs> I can't see you. I, I just trust that there are a lot of you out there. Um, the survey on the country's labor force compiled by the uh, Malaysian Productivity Corporation. Uh, let's see. Uh, competitive Division Director Mohammed Musafar Abdul Hamid said the survey involved respondents between 15 and 64 years old. Find out about the educational achievements and performance of the Malaysian public. This may be Malaysia-centric to my other listeners in other countries, but it applies in a lot of cases to a lot of your situations too. He said the findings were worrying, and he fears the high percentage of students that are not interested in furthering their studies after SPM will have an impact on the country's productivity, especially when job opportunities are not filled by local youth. Well, let me disagree with that because you do not need to have a college degree to have a decent, good-paying job and make a ton of money. I just paid a guy to clean and service my air conditioner, an aircon, HVAC tech, 150 ringgit. Now, I know in USD, that's like free. <laughs> almost. But it's not a bad amount of money for what took him about half an hour, 45 minutes to do. Half an hour, 45 minutes, 150 ringgit uh, to the good, to his benefit. Now you do that seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times a day. Think about the money you're making. You're not working every day, but these guys are making a killing. Plumbers, electricians, the trades, the trades, we need people in these trades, and you can make a decent living, not, not only a decent living, a damn good living, without a college degree. And while this guy said he was worried that it'll have an impact on the country's productivity, a part, a big part of our productivity is not necessarily centered around innovations, any country. It's also centered around the people who do, for the lack of a better phrase, the real jobs. Train conductors, plumbers, electricians, carpenters. Those folks, men and women, who roll up their sleeves, get the dirt under their fingernails. Airline pilots, you name it. I mean, the, the folks who actually work for a living, not the thinkers and the creative types and the degreed people, the people who are actually out there doing the hard work and getting paid for it. And I might add, keep this in mind, getting paid damned well for it. There is a future to be had. One of the links I put in our show notes tonight 
is uh, to Mike Rowe Works. Mike Rowe, you probably know him. Uh, let me just load the page here. Hold on a second. For some reason, it's not loading. So let me cut back and we'll go over there. Mm, okay, here we go. Mike Rowe Works. Mike Rowe is an amazing host. Uh, he's done lots of TV shows. He did Returning the Favor. Uh, he did Dirty Jobs. You'll probably best remember him from Dirty Jobs, uh, where he jumped in and took part and uh, showed you how dirty jobs get done. But Mike Rowe, is, Mike Rowe works. He has a foundation. And he's all about getting your dirt under your fingernails and doing the job that you don't necessarily need a degree for. There's a link to his foundation because they do scholarships and amazing work. And uh, Mike is a fantastic host, an incredible talent. But the work that he's done with uh, with this foundation in helping out people uh, who do not have college degrees but are doing the real jobs that keep, keep countries afloat and uh, it's truly incredible. Look at this, 5.2 million USD in work ethic scholarships granted. 1,200 plus recipients, 19 plus skilled trades supported. It says we're kicking butts and talking numbers or taking numbers. America's been sold a load of crap and we're not buying into it. Check out, <laughs> skill and work ethic are not taboo. Uh, we're ignoring a long history of bad advice and embracing a new platitude with a different attitude. Check out Mike Rowworks Foundation. The link is in our show notes. It's a great charity. I'm not asking you to give to the charity if you are so inclined, by all means. But uh, take a look at, at his attitude about the real work and the real jobs that people do. And don't be afraid to jump in and grab yourself a real job. I'd be less worried about this country's or any country's productivity with more young people getting into the skilled trades, learning one, start off as an apprentice, learn a skill. Maybe it's your mom or your dad's business. Get into it. Keep the tradition going. Those are the things that keep a country humming. And I'm all for that. I could not encourage you more. So again, check out Micro's uh, uh, foundation, Micro Works. Um, I, I'm not getting paid to plug his foundation. It's just a really, really great operation he runs over there. It's very, very cool. All right. Uh, on to some other stuff we got going on here tonight. This is an interesting article that showed up in uh, ABC in Australia, the Australian Broadcasting Company. A uh, rather interesting story. How Malaysian police turned missing Adelaide woman, Anna Jenkins, from a victim into a criminal. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. This is uh, Greg Jenkins and Jen Bowen brought the remains of their mother, Anna Jenkins, home earlier this year. Uh, Adelaide man, Greg Jenkins, says if the story of his mother's disappearance in Malaysia became a book, it would go into the fiction section because it was so unbelievable. The link to this article is in the show notes. 65-year-old Anapurani Jenkins, also known as Anna, vanished in Penang, here in Malaysia, in 2017 while visiting her ailing mother. Three years later, through an anonymous tip, Greg Jenkins discovered his own mother's possessions and partial remains on a building site. We were always optimistic we'd find some justice for Mom. 
Uh, it's the only way we can keep moving forward. Mr. Jenkins believes his mother was the victim of a robbery homicide. But he says the Royal Malaysian Police have instead laid the blame on her. Among their claims that she was on the run from Australian authorities and involved in the drug trade, they cited her, they cited her purchase of a T-shirt from a Malaysian shop that had the word escape on it to support their theory. The sensational accusations have prompted South Australian police to provide an affidavit confirming Anna Jenkins had no record whatsoever of any involvement in drug activity in Australia. Mr. Jenkins said, if it wasn't heartbreaking, it would be comical. Read the rest of this sad story, please. Share it out there and get the word out. This is um, beyond belief, but uh, the link is in our show notes tonight. I'm not going to make a whole lot of comments on it. It's just, it's frightening. All right, good news. We got some good news indeed. And then we're going to tell you about how the end is near, maybe closer than you think. Uh, I happen to bookmark these uh, links, and I think I put them in the show notes tonight. But if I'm not mistaken, probably there's been updates because these games are ongoing. This is from the Malay Mail. Uh, ASEAN Para Games. Malaysia adds three more golds and seven silvers on day three. Yes, we are kicking butts and taking names at the Para Games. Um, Paralympic gold medalist Datuk Abdul Latif Romli got the ball rolling for Malaysia when he won the men's long jump F20 intellectual impaired uh, event. Wow, fantastic. Gold medal winner there. And the article goes on, talks about all the different uh, golds and medals that we've won. We've got a bunch of silver medals. We're doing incredibly well. In addition to the ASEAN Para Games, the Commonwealth Games are going on at the same time. And we're kicking butt and taking names over there, too. Commonwealth Games, Malaysian shuttlers bag mixed team gold as judoka Amir Daniel wins historic bronze. And uh, again, like I said, this article is about 24 hours old or 12 hours old. I'm guessing by now we probably have added to that list of medals that we've won. So just wanted to at least share that out there and give a big hearty hi-ho and congratulations to all of the uh, amazing Malaysian athletes. Whether you are a para-athlete or an athlete-athlete, you're all athletes and you all are doing Malaysia proud. Congratulations to you guys. All right. Are you ready? 1973. Let's see. 83, 93, 2003, 13. Almost 50 years ago. One year short of 49 years ago, an MIT computer predicted when civilization will end. An MIT model predicted how and when human civilization would end. And here's a hint. It's soon. This article's in the show notes. It's from BigThink.com. Cool website. Uh, A program developed by MIT to model global sustainability. Instead, it predicted that by 2040, that ain't that far away, our civilization 
would be hubby's end over. Many in history have made a lot of apocalyptic predictions. Uh, So far, none, obviously, have come true. But what the computer envisioned in the 70s has, by and large, been coming true. Could the machine be right? Uh, The prediction, which was recently reappeared in the Australian media, made uh, by a program dubbed World One, originally created by Jay Forrester, commissioned by the Club of Rome to model how well the world could sustain its growth. The Club of Rome, an organization comprised of thinkers, former world heads of state, scientists, UN bureaucrats, you know, the usual criminals, and their, their mission, they say, is to promote understanding of the global challenges facing humanity and to propose solutions through scientific analysis, communications, and advocacy. How's that? Well, as reported by the Australian broadcaster ABC, the model's calculations took into account trends in pollution levels, population growth, the amount of natural resources, and the overall quality of life on Earth. The model's prediction for the worsening quality of life and dwindling natural resources have, so far, been unnervingly on target. In fact, 2020 is the first milestone that back in 1973, World One envisioned. That's when the quality of life, it said, was supposed to drop dramatically. The broadcaster presented this scenario and how it would lead to the demise of large numbers of people. At around, listen to this, at around 2020, the condition of the planet becomes highly critical. If we do nothing about it, the quality of life goes down to zero. Pollution becomes so serious, it will start to kill people, which in turn will cause the population to diminish lower than it was in the 1900s. At this stage, around 2040 to 2050, civilized life as we know it on this planet will cease to exist. Isn't that some good news? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's some advice on how we could starve off the disaster, how the model is and isn't right, and what it has and hasn't uh, concluded. But it's a cool article. It's from Big Think. The link is in our show notes tonight. That's our description down below. And uh, check it out. Read the whole article. It's it's an eye-opener, to say the least. Indeed. (laughs) All right. Here we go. Coffee break time. Mm. Hey, don't forget, if you want to help support the show, you can become a patron. Just go at patreon.com slash jsheldon. Check it out over there. I've just rearranged the menu. It's quite easy to get around and figure out how it works. And uh, just patreon.com slash jsheldon. You can can help us out on the show here. And we really appreciate it. We don't plug that enough. I don't like to have a bunch of asks. But uh, every now and then, it helps. All right. You ready for some uh, light reading? (laughs) We have been doing the adventures of Sherlock Holmes uh, in our book, uh, hang on a second. There we go. All right. Let's get the cover up there. Will you stop doing that? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm going to try this one more time. There we go. <laughs> it's just fighting me tonight, folks. That's all I can say. I don't know why it's fighting me. Uh, yeah, the system, I know. All right. So we read books on this show. They're from the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org. 
Uh, you can check it out. They're all free. They're in the public domain. We've done uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, you name it, uh, Velveteen Rabbit, Winnie the Pooh, Peter Pan, so many great books on this show. We've read them all the way through, beginning to end, and then we move on to another one. Right now, we're doing The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, and each chapter in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' original book is a different adventure. And we just finished one uh, last stream. We're about to start a brand new one. Just a few more to go here, and then we'll be done with Sherlock and moving on to another classic book. If you'd like to make a suggestion, we encourage you to do that. You can either send me a PM personally, put something in the chat here on the show when we're live, Monday, Wednesday, Saturdays at 10 Malaysian time, or you can send us an email, show at jsheldon.com. That's our show email, show, S-H-O-W, at jsheldon.com, and we we read all your emails. We get quite a few, so thank you for that. You can send us a suggestion what book you'd like. Head over to the Gutenberg Project and uh, see what they've got over there, and suggest. We always most of the books we've read have been because people have suggested it, like you. All right, our next adventure in Sherlock Holmes is called the Adventure of the Engineer's Thumb. Of all the problems which have been submitted to my friend Mr. Sherlock Holmes for solution during the years of our intimacy, there were only two which I was the means of introducing to his notice, that of Mr. Hatherley's thumb and that of Colonel Waterburn's madness. And of these, the latter may have afforded a finer field for an acute and original observer, but the other was so strange in its inception and so dramatic in its details, that it may be the more worthy of being placed upon record. Even if it gave my friend fewer openings for those deductive methods of reasoning by which he achieved such remarkable results. The story has, I believe, been told more than once in the newspapers, but like all such narrative... Miko wants to get in on the show. Like all such narratives, its effect is much less striking when set forth on block in a single half-column of print than when the facts slowly evolve before your own eyes and the mystery clears gradually away as each new discovery furnishes a step which leads on to the complete truth. At the time, Circumstances made a deep impression on me, and the lapse of two years has hardly served to weaken the effect. It was in the summer of 89, not long after my marriage, that the events occurred which I'm now about to summarize. I'd returned to civil practice and had finally abandoned home in his Baker Street rooms, although I continually visited him and occasionally even persuaded him to forego his bohemian habits so far as to come and visit us. My practice had steadily increased, and as I happened to live at no very great distance from Paddington Station, I got a few patients from among the officials. One of these, whom I'd cured of a painful and lingering disease, was never weary of advertising my virtues and of endeavoring to send me on every sufferer over whom he might have any influence. One morning, a little before seven o'clock, I was awakened by the maid tapping at the door to announce that two men had come from Paddington, and we were, they were waiting in the consulting room. I dressed hurriedly, for I knew by experience that railway cases were seldom trivial, 
and hastened downstairs. As I descended, my old ally, the guard, came out of the room and closed the door tightly behind him. I've got him in here, he whispered, jerking his thumb over his shoulder. He's all right. What is it then, I asked, for his manner suggested it was some strange creature which he'd caged up in my room. It's a new patient, he whispered. I thought I'd bring him round myself. Then he couldn't slip away. There he is, all safe and sound. I must go now, doctor. I have my duties, same as you. And off he went, this trusty tout, without even giving me time to thank him. I entered my consulting room and found a gentleman seated by the table. He was quietly dressed in a suit of heather tweed with a soft cloth cap which he had laid down upon my books. Round one of his hands he had a handkerchief wrapped which was mottled all over with bloodstains. He was young, not more than five and twenty, I should say, with a, a strong muscular face, but he was exceedingly pale which gave me the impression of a man who was suffering from some strong agitation, which took all of his strength of his mind to control. "'I'm sorry to knock you up so early, doctor,' said he, "'but I have had a very serious accident during the night. "'I came in by train this morning, "'and on inquiring at Paddington as to where I might find a doctor, "'a worthy fellow very kindly escorted me here.' I gave the maid a card, and I see she's left it upon the side table. I took it up and glanced at it. Mr. Victor Hatherley, hydraulic engineer, 16A Victoria Street, third floor. That was the name, style, and abode of my morning visitor. I regret that I've kept you waiting, said I, sitting down on my library chair. You are fresh from a night journey, I understand, which is in itself a monotonous occupation. Oh, my night could not be called monotonous, he said and laughed. He laughed very heartily in a high, ringing note, leaning back in his chair and shaking his sides. All my medical instincts rose up against that laugh. Stop it, I cried. Pull yourself together. And I poured out some water from a carafe. It was useless, however. He was off in one of those hysterical outbursts which come upon a strong nature when some great crisis is over and gone. Well, presently he came to himself once more, very weary, and blushed hotly. I've been making a fool of myself, he gasped. Not at all. Drink this. I dashed some brandy into the water, and the color began to come back to his bloodless cheeks. "'That's better,' said he. "'And now, doctor, perhaps you would kindly attend to my thumb, "'or, rather, to the place where my thumb used to be.' "'He unwound the handkerchief and held out his hand. "'It gave even my hardened nerves a shudder to look at it. "'There were four protruding fingers and a horrid, red, spongy surface.' where his thumb should have been. It had been hacked or torn right out from the roots. Good heavens, I cried. This is a terrible injury. It must have bled considerably. Yes, it did. I, I fainted when it was done. I think I must have been senseless for a long time. And when I came to, I, I found it was still bleeding. So I tied one end of my handkerchief very tightly round the wrist, 
and braced it up with a twig. Excellent. You should have been a surgeon. It's a question of hydraulics, you see. Came with my own providence. This has been done, said I, examining the wound by a, a very heavy and sharp instrument. A thing like a cleaver, said he. An accident, I presume? By no means. What? A murderous attack? Oh, yes, very murderous indeed. You horrify me. I sponged the wound, cleaned it, dressed it, finally covered it over with cotton wadding and carbolized bandages. He lay back without wincing, though he bit his lip from time to time. How is that? I asked when I'd finished. Capital! Between your brandy and your bandage, I feel like a new man. I was very weak, but uh, I have had a good deal to go through. Perhaps you'd better not speak of the matter. It's evidently trying to your nerves. Oh, no, not now. I shall have to tell my tale to the police, but between ourselves, if it were not for the convincing evidence of this wound of mine, I should be surprised if they believe my statement, for it is a very extraordinary one. I have not much in the way of proof with which to back it up. Even if they believe me, the clues which I can give them are so vague that it's a question of whether justice can be done. Ha! cried I. If it is anything in the nature of a problem which you desire to see solved, I should strongly recommend you come to my friend Mr. Sherlock Holmes before you go to the official police. Oh, I've heard of that fellow, answered my visitor. I should be very glad if he would take the matter up, though, of course, I, I must use the official police as well. Would you give me an introduction to him? I'll do better. I'll take you round to him myself. I should be immensely obliged to you. We'll call a cab and go together. We shall just be in time to have a little breakfast with him. Do you feel equal to it? Yes, I, I shall not feel easy until I've told my story. Then my servant will call a cab, and I shall be with you in an instant. I rushed upstairs, explained the matter shortly to my wife, and in five minutes was inside a hansom, driving with my new acquaintance to Baker Street. Sherlock Holmes was, as I expected, lounging about his sitting-room in his dressing-gown, reading the agony column of the Times and smoking his before-breakfast pipe, which was comprised of all the plugs and dottles left from his smokes of the day before, all carefully dried and collected on the corner of the mantelpiece. He received us, quietly, in his genial fashion, ordered fresh rashers and eggs, and joined us in a hearty meal. When it was concluded, he settled our new acquaintance upon the sofa, placed a pillow beneath his head, and laid a glass of brandy and water within his reach. It's easy to see that your experience has been no common one, Mr. Hatherley, said he. Pray, lie down here, make yourself absolutely at home. Tell us what you can, but stop when you're tired, and keep up your strength with a little stimulant. Thank you, said my patient. But I have felt another man since the doctor bandaged me, and I think your breakfast has completed the cure. 
I shall take up as little of your valuable time as possible. So I shall start at once upon my peculiar experience. And that's where we're going to end it off tonight. We'll find out the details of this rather unusual tragedy coming up on our next stream, which will be on uh, Saturday night. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks so much for popping by or listening in on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the likes, follows, and subscribes. And uh, please don't forget also to check us out if you'd like to help out the show over at patreon.com slash Sheldon. Really appreciate that. I'll see you again Saturday night. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night, everybody. Snort. <laughs> <laughs>